Welcome to the closed session, how to get paid in Silicon Valley, with your host, Tom Chavez and Vivek Vidya. Well, here we are, episode one, season three, and you know, we're not just on the radio. We're, we're not. We're, we're all the way three-dimensional video. That's right. A lot of people, and here's the thing, the reason we're doing this is a lot of people are saying, look, we love the sound of your silky radio voices, but we need Vivek live. I don't, in 3D. Don't, yeah. They want to see me in 3D. And can I say, yeah, right. you look fabulous because you got a haircut. I did get a you haircut. Got a haircut. Yes. Yeah, I was looking I got a little a haircut shaggy. On, on uh, Wednesday. In between two meetings, I had 30 minutes. Yeah. So, you know. You go to Supercuts? Of course. Right? Of course I went to Supercuts. Going to Supercuts like you do, say, I'll take a yeah. $7 haircut, hold the self-respect. It's $25, Tom. 25 my bad. Yeah, okay. We're not uh-huh. in the 1990s got anymore. It. Got it. Yeah. Well, so here we are, very, very exciting, season three, episode one, and we wanted to talk today about the studio model, the venture studio model. What the heck is it? Because there seems to be a little bit of confusion out there. Uh, I was talking to one of our mutual investor friends. Yeah. This coming year, we're contemplating maybe raising a follow-on fund, so he had just gone through his own fundraising, and I was Mm -hmm. saying, well, you know, you're a venture capitalist, that's one thing. We're a venture studio, and that's really, in our minds, quite a different species. And it was, it was instructive when he said, no, you're wrong. Yeah. All the investors out there are going to look at this and say, has a venture in front of it, it's, it's the same thing. And he's not totally wrong, is he? He's not totally wrong, and we can't protest too much when it comes to this stuff. Right. But we think there are some pretty significant differences, right? Yes, yes. Before we get to the differences, though, let's just quickly address the similarities. Okay. Right? So uh, we, we do, to, a, to an LP, we do appear like any other fund because we have the 2 and 20, right? Right. So uh, what does 2 and 20 mean, Tom? So 2 and 20 is, we didn't make that up. That's mm. the standard kind of structure for a venture capital fund wherein 2% of the, of the capital in the fund is used as a management fee. Mm-hmm. And the 20% is that we take 20% after having paid the fund back in full, by the way, there's something called the American waterfall versus the European waterfall, but we don't have to worry about that. The essence of it is you pay back capital, and then if you're successful, as we are going to be, you take 20% of the returns from the fund. So yeah. that's what venture capitalists have been doing for decades. So you're right. We have a similar structure. Yeah. Um, but for me, you know, and, and so that's really, well, let's examine whether or not there are any other similarities we need to know, because that's really the core one, right? Are yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, so just, uh, so Tom mentioned the management fee, which is the 2%, and then the 20% is called the carry. And that's, uh, so you'll hear these terms from uh, from venture capitalists or funds and stuff, 2 and 20, 2% management fee, 20% carry. Yep. So, yeah, I think I think that that's, that's it. Uh, I think that's really it. So, yeah. so So, look, if you fixate on that, as some people might, you say, well, walks like a VC, quacks like a VC, must be a VC. Right. But there are these really fundamental differences, right? And I think if you fixate on that, it's sort of like looking at uh, a, a horse buggy. Mm. Well, it has two seats in the front, two seats in the back. And then you look at a Tesla. Oh, it has two seats in the front, two seats in the back. But come on, it's a completely different species. So we're going to come at this with our own kind of bias, yep. right? And our listeners and viewers can calibrate however they like, but we're going to show up with a strong point of view here today as to how this is different. And I think it starts with 
look, we've both been lucky to work with some really terrific venture capitalists. We have. Right? We have. What do venture capitalists do? Um, they invest capital. There was this really formative moment early on in our first company, Wrapped, where I was a puppy. I didn't know what I was doing. I think it was the third or fourth board meeting. Mm. I walk in and I have these issues that are vexing me, so I want to raise them with, with the investors. With the right? I mean, it yeah. just seems like these only really smart people around the table. Let's get their input. So I'm uh, <laughs> waxing on and presenting these issues. And one of these prominent venture capitalists, with actually a good amount of gentle concern, takes mm -hmm. me aside right after the meeting and says, hey, Chavez, you seem to be confused. <laughs> We're professional critiquers. See, you craft, we critique. That's how this works. Yeah. And that's really, I think, one of the fundamental differences. It's important to have intelligent critique as you're building a new business from yeah. scratch. How do we show up? How are we different in this regard? So we, if you think of that, that intelligent critique as, as advice from the control tower, as, as, as we know from our experience and, and other entrepreneurs who've been on the journey know, company building, especially early stage company building, is a dogfight. Right? So, uh, it is a pride swallowing, soul sucking. You get kicked in the head so many times. Every day. Right? right? And, and venture capitalists aren't there receiving those blows. They're not. They feel it one degree of separation away. Correct. They get vexed and angry and concerned at board meetings. But that's very different from being down here on the ground getting Correct. kicked in the head. Correct. So, that's one, that's one major difference is that we stand shoulder to shoulder with our entrepreneurs, right. with the co-founders we bring on, and build the company with them. And uh, we, we craft. We, we craft. We are standing on the whiteboard, drawing pictures, designing product, architecting solutions, selling software, the whole nine yards. That's one way in which we are significantly and different. Let, let's build on that now, because one of the things that we don't do, which is the prime function of a venture capitalist, we don't chase or source That's deals. Right. That's right? right. Everything that comes out of our studio, we have a really key hand in crafting and forming from scratch. Yeah. We um, incubate companies. That's and right. that's, uh, and by incubation, you, you'll it, find a lot of incubators, right? Uh, that's a dangerous word. Yep. So what do you mean by incubation in the form or in the sense in which people are used to hearing the term incubator versus how we incubate? Yeah, we, so we, we're not like the traditional incubator where we provide space, although we do, uh, we provide space and snacks and okay, now you go and build your company. We're actually uh, building, developing the hypotheses that we're gonna go test out in the building of the company. We hire people, we design solutions. We, we, build, the we product, build the product. We find the early customers, we sell the early customers, yep. we, we develop the contracts. We create the back-end infrastructure for these companies, not just finance and legal, but technical infrastructure, on and on and on. Right? Yeah, so, so we show up as co-founders, and right. we do everything that you would expect us that you would expect us to do, like we did at Crux in these companies that we that we start. Right. Now, notice as we talk this through. So we're we're the first money in, and that's one of the commitments we've made to our LPs. There's still a really important role for VCs to show up Absolutely. in those later rounds and Absolutely. help us continue the yeah. journey. Yep. Right. But, and, and so think of us as this extreme, everybody likes to talk about stage two, stage three companies. 
not enough people talk about, okay, how about stage zero or yep. stage one, however mm -hmm. you want to define it, mm -hmm. when there's nothing to a company except blank space on a whiteboard. Mm -hmm. That's where we show That's up. That's where we show up, yeah. Um, and we set up the sockets for successful financings with other VCs at the table yep. in follow-on rounds. Yeah, and then, you know, like you said, the the intelligent critique from VCs, the control, the, the perspective from the control tower is definitely very useful uh, sometimes because what sometimes. we don't see... Yeah, but but you know you have to admit not like, always, right? Not always, sure, but but oftentimes it is because we don't end up seeing the the patterns. The good VCs, like the ones that you were talking about that we worked with, they've been able to see patterns across multiple companies they've worked with, and they've given us useful advice right. along the way. That's worthy of a, of another podcast. Uh, let's examine that in a future episode. What defines a great VC? Yeah, right. But we'll get to that later. In this context. Um, we're looking for VCs who can come up with the pattern matching experience yep. that you're talking about. Yep. That's valuable. Um, a great VC asks provocative questions yeah. in just the right moment and the right context that catalyze the answer where you yep. know, the, the management team is after. So that's really key. Um, they do get a little, I said, not all, they're not always useful because mm. sometimes, and here's, here's the curse of, of the VC is to be so, so frequently wrong and never confused. Yep. Right? Yep. <laughs> We've seen some of that too. And and so the, the tricky, tricky part is to show up with a strong opinion. And we we always show up with a strong opinion. I'm quite proud of the way in which we we reserve the right to change our mind always. Yep. Right? Uh, yep. Great, great company building requires, especially at this early stage, requires continuous course correction. Yep. Right. And so that's something we take. Pretty seriously. Should we dive into what we mean by by craftsmanship? Yes, let's versus do that. Critique? Let's do yeah. that. So, so what do we do? Uh, what do we mean by what do we mean by, what do we mean by craftsmanship? Actually, let's start where you where you were just uh, uh, with, with the thing you were just talking about, which is we show up and we ask questions, right? Uh, and even before we've brought on co-founders to work with us, we follow that approach ourselves, right? We ask questions, right, open-endedly. Right. How would we go into a new space like like healthcare? That's right. right. Let's uh, use that as an example because that's a, that's a formation. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's What do you know about healthcare, Tom? I know nothing about healthcare. It's exactly. Very sad. Exactly. Right. And so, but we're we're seriously contemplating a new company in healthcare now. So how are we doing it? So we start from scratch and we ask, we have hypotheses, we ask open-ended questions. First, we educate ourselves as to the status of the mm -hmm. market. Who's on first? Who's on second? What are the core dynamics at work? Let's manage the distinctions between payers, providers, industry, pharma, companies, and the like. Mm -hmm. You start setting up that scaffolding, right, to scan the whole space. You start, um, and this is where actually I was joking. Well, I don't know anything about healthcare, neither do you. It turns out to be a really useful thing. Yes. Because we're not encumbered by the 20 years of bad habits, the 30 years of bad habits that somebody who's just been doing healthcare for so long is going to bring to this undertaking, yep. right? Yep. So we're asking these questions. We're assembling panels of people. We're unabashed when it comes to calling people who might know people who Shameless are Shameless even, I would Shame. say. We are just ridiculous, right? We'll call these people, wrestle them to the ground, bug them with a lot of pesky questions. We start to formulate and sharpen those hypotheses, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is where we, have a, we start to develop a strong point of view that yep. can be revised at any moment, but yep. it's a strong point of view as to how we can plug in. And let's talk about that now too, because- Look, there are a lot of companies out there that are useful and they should exist. We're very clear about the kinds of companies you and I are going to be involved in building. Right? And not building also. Right. 
So, so if you've followed some of our prior episodes, we're all about this data-driven thesis, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Our businesses at the core, we're product guys. Um, all of our businesses at the core are in some form or fashion capturing, generating, analyzing, pipelining, orchestrating, activating data. Data, yeah. Right? yeah. So we, we stick to our knitting in that regard. Um, and we bring that kind of posture to healthcare. Right. right? And this is one area where we apply the concept of pattern matching as well, like like we were like VCs do, but we do it in a very different context. Right. But we we have established over the last 20, 25 years certain patterns of building, not just building data-driven software companies, but recognizing problems and matching them to, you know, oh that that's an instance of X that we saw earlier, right? So we do that, we do a lot of that. And that starts to uh, create a product strategy for us. That's right. right. So, and we're, people have asked, what's the strategy for Superset? It's people, product, customers in that order. As we're engaging in this, we're, we're also scanning the horizon for breakthrough co-founders. Yes. Who can join up typically as, you know, there's you, me, and one other person in the boat. Correct. Right? Correct. So we're trying to stand up a small team with a product-oriented co-founder mm-hmm. who, in this case, comes from the domain. Domain, yeah. yeah. Um, we're, we're starting to formulate hypotheses, and this is different from what other groups do. Some people, some other venture studios, let's note this, will start with a more outside-in kind of premise, mm-hmm. right? And, it, for example, in a consumer-driven context, yeah. how are women approaching matters of beauty and how do they buy their beauty products? Yeah. Let's go examine that and, and work backwards into a potential solution. Yeah. That's not what we do. That's really. our approach. And, and I think it's largely because of, of the, the uh, space in which we're operating. You mentioned consumer, right? It's, it's, it's possible for these days especially for people to get feedback on whether a direct-to-consumer product is going to work or not. You can stand up a landing page and buy, buy some advertising on Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, et cetera, yeah. and then see what kind of interest you get from people who uh, for the product that you are trying to build. We unfortunately can't take that approach because we're operating primarily in the B2B space and it's more, uh, it's more involved and we have to seek out these people who could become potential adopters and advisors and customers for us, which is where the interviews and, and the conversations that we do with the industry uh, yeah. come in. Yeah. Now to that earlier point you made about curiosity and question asking, and let's use the pharma ex- as an example. We came into this, and there is a data management thesis mm-hmm. that, we, that took hold of us fairly early. Yes. And it was really quite similar to what we did at Crux, yes. our prior project. Yes. It was interesting, right? Because I especially, you probably got there a lot quicker than I got there because that's, that's just what happens every day. But it took me a while to recognize, because it looked so similar to Crux, and I said, no, nah, no, nah, it can't be that easy. Yeah. There's, there's got to be another thing here going on. We can't get stuck smoking our own stash here and just seeing what we want to see. It, mm-hmm. It's got to be harder than that. Mm-hmm. So it was powerful for us to go through that process yeah. and realize, mm, you know, as Snoop Dogg says, why acts why? Yeah. It's the, it, you know, the structure of the, of the product is going to be quite a lot like Crux. It's not going to be a perfect copy, but the scaffolding is the yep. same. And right? the, you know, at, at Crux, we, we used to say, uh, data in, data out, something in the middle, yep. right? As we, the simplest way of ex- explaining what a DMP did, it's, we, we found that there was a very similar kind of pattern over here, especially when we were exploring clinical trials and, and pharma. 
Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's, uh, that's something that we do. What, what, what more do we do, Tom? What, uh, so, so we've done that, but then now the nitty gritty of company building, how do we multiply value? Well, okay. So we, we have a product thesis. We start to build prototypes and actual working software. We, that we're peddling now to pioneering customers, right? Mm -hmm. That we smoked out of the bush through friends, our network, um, all kinds of interesting means. Mm -hmm. um, many of these, by the way, in early stage formation, I see a lot of companies breaking their pick on trying to get nickels, every nickel yeah. off the table with yeah. these early customers. Yeah. We want to co-innovate yep. with these early partners, right? Yep. Of course, money needs to change hands. By the way, we've had deals where that you know there's money zero dollar license, right? Yes. right? Yes. So, yes. so the main thing is to get early customers who are going to help you fire test and build the product. They're going to be tolerant and flexible, right? Mm -hmm. We've also seen a number of people who say, "Oh yeah, I'm a pioneer. Get me in there." Yeah. And <laughs> we've also no, you should not be in. You should. You're, you're not a pioneer. You're the middle majority. Yeah. You're comfortable adopting later. So we have to find those early customers. And it's just maniacal focus with a small early team of how many developers? I mean, you Anywhere get, from three to seven, I think, right. depending on the breadth of our stage one product and how quickly we want to bring it into right. market. And really ideal, the Jeff Bezos line, like feed them with a single pizza. Correct. Right? Correct. So, so that's effectively what we're doing in, these early, in this early stage. We start to get proof points. You have a single customer, by the way. Let's also pause for a moment. Because we do talk to a lot of people who, and we congratulate them, you know, they've taken a company from, from whatever, 10 to 40 or 10 to 50 in the parlance of the VCs. Mm -hmm. Zero to a one. customer, yep. zero, <laughs> zero to three customers. That's just another thing. And it's really hard, yeah. right? It's, I see a lot of people kind of poo-pooing it. Oh, that's adorable. You got a couple of early customers. I'm like, no, man. Get up in here and close a single customer when you have nothing. It's a big leap. It's a, and I think I think it's a, it is. I think people under underestimate, underestimate how hard that is, and they also underestimate like the people who are closing these deals, these early you know first customer, second customer deals, are the founders. That's right. There's no salesperson whom you can hire who will close these early deals for you, and founders, especially tech founders, That's right. are not. Natural born salesman. It's difficult, right? That's why it's even more difficult to go from zero to one to zero to one or zero to one or zero to three. Have you had some sales training along the way? I have had zero sales training. Okay, I've had zero sales training too. If you've seen um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, mm. we're like Ferris Bueller playing the clarinet. Remember that scene where mm -hmm. he's playing the clarinet, honking away? And then he proudly turns to the camera and said, never had a single lesson. Yep. That's us. Yep. But guess what? And this is important We've sold as some well. Software. Sold a lot of software, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't feel like selling. I'm That's just, right. I'm so passionate about this thing. And I know, I now know a good amount about it. Let me explain to you how this is transformative. Yeah. We were talking about this with someone the other day, right? Like, yeah. uh, we were talking about someone and this came up and, and we said, like, look, if you just talk about what you're doing passionately, then, then the sale just happens. Uh, yeah. You have to be an organized thinker. We've gotten better at it. Yeah. There's ways to structure the conversation. Sure. Opposed to just hurtling in like a overeager puppy. Sure. Um, asking lots of questions, by the way. Yep. Is also key. Hey, should before we move on to what's in it for our investors, should we take uh, a little moment for our totally unpaid for promotion? We haven't you want to do that, huh? Yeah. So what's the one product, Tom, in these last two, two and a half years that you've been using a lot of? Okay, but here, see, 
It's hand sanitizer. Ooh. But let me tell you something. Okay. And here you we were go. there for it. Here we go. 20 years ago. Yeah. You remember our first company? Mm-hmm. And I think you... Well, of course you remember the company, but you probably also remember that I was always running around with some kind of flu. Yes. And it took me a while. First, my kids were younger at that age, mm. so they're little Petri dishes bringing home sure. bugs all the time. But I'm also shaking a lot of hands in, a, in the context of sales, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had the bright idea, like, I think I'm just getting sick from all, you know, shaking everyone's hand and then, you know, get a, capturing all those bugs. So I, I started to get some hand sanitizer on my desk. And other employees used to tease me like, okay, that's crazy. <laughs> Who is this guy using hand sanitizer 20 years? Nobody did that, right? And I started to put hand sanitizer in my cars and I started to use it regularly. So this is not a, a recent development. I've been doing you, hand sanitizer for, you, yes, it's not a, recent for a development. long time. That's right. That's right. Did right. you ever get into, did, did you have any, ever have any embarrassing moments where you shook hands with someone and then suddenly you're putting hand No, <laughs> no, no. Like Trump, right? Apparently like he'll shake your hand and then somebody here on the side. No, I've never done that. Okay. But I, I do have, I don't have it here. I have a little form fact, tiny little mm. form factor hand sanitizer in my pocket that I can pull out at any mm. time. What's the winning brand? Purell, you just told me, Purell. Purell is the winning brand. That's right. Now, here's one of the things that vexes me. There's been so much bad hand sanitizer produced mm. in the last two and a half years. Mm. It's very alcoholy. Yeah, and liquidy. It yeah, it's, yeah, it yeah. sticks like a, like a sheen on your yeah. hands or yeah. whatever. I hate that. Yeah. People. Use Purell. Purell. Use Purell. It, there we go. There's no substitute. Yeah. Should we talk? Okay, thus endeth our totally unpaid for promotion. Should we talk about what's in it for our investors? Yeah, so, you know, as we talk about this, it leads me to think like, we're not a VC. We do something, we're doing something unique and different. So, is this what? Is this another asset class then? Where does this end? Well, it's an asset, and let's come back to where we left off, right? Because if you're investing in Superset, this is a direct caffeine shot to a from scratch. That's pharma right. company and the yeah. example we're using, right? Yeah. Very, very different from what most LPs, limited partners, the guys with the money who put their money into, into venture capital funds. So at first blush, you'd look at that and say, I mean, I, it seems quite different, right? The astute investors and the ones that we have are like, okay, I've made venture capital investments. This is not that. Yeah. What propels them into uh, an investment with Superset and I've seen this, is a little bit of frustration, because they've told me, a little bit of frustration as to whether or not the VCs are actually really earning their keep. Because mm. the 2%, especially on a big fund, turns into a lot of money. Mm. Mm. So it starts to feel, in some cases, for LPs investing in less successful VCs, mm-hmm. feels like a, a tax. Tax, yeah. Right? yeah. And so they want to, they want to get closer mm-hmm. to the action. Mm-hmm. We had an, an investor at Crux it was a large self-sovereign wealth fund. Mm. And they insisted on putting money into the company. I always found that strange. Yeah. And I finally asked them, hey, why are you doing this? Yeah. Don't you, I mean, th- th- these are, I don't know, it's $180 billion sovereign wealth fund. $2 million or whatever it was in our, like, why would you do that? Yeah. And they explained to me that it was the learning the, benefit. Access, the direct the access, access. And they want, it, it was just $2 million is a drop in the bucket for an $180 billion fund. Yeah but they felt like the learning benefits that they get from that small investment. Yep. Right. And so maybe there's a piece of that uh, at work here, but that was whatever, 10 years ago. What else has changed in the intervening 10 years? As we see Tiger Tiger and Kotu and all these guys piling in money, right? These rounds that are happening now, 
in an afternoon with no diligence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe subject for another podcast, right? But the, the point of the matter is that a huge amount of capital from people who used to just stay put at later stage is now coming into early stage. Yep. That puts a little bit of a squeeze on conventional VCs, VCs yes. because guess what? Their money is green too. Yep. Right. Because it's just, it's gr- all the, the value add they, they have is ostensibly just advice and critique. Right. right. And 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 the really good ones with great brands and, and established franchises are going to keep chunking along. Yes. Right. Yes. But there is this kind of delicate squeeze. In the middle, yeah. Right. And we're not going to get too precious about it, but what we're seeing so far is that that does heighten people's interest in early stage because this thing that we're talking about feels quite different. No, and people have told me like like friends who are who are LPs in other funds etc. they have told me that they would like to get access. The, our model is appealing to them because they, it's a way for them to get access at formation, right? Right. In in, in the seed stage rounds, That's which right. which are more valuable than when they get in at Series B or Series C, right? So let's unpack that, right? And and we'll talk about it in the context of superset. You and I aren't um, investing just investing other people's money. We Correct. have a lot of our personal capital. sweat and, and capital. capital. Yep in superset. So the alignment that we have with our LPs is perfect. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Right? To your point about the returns, we're also engineering the portfolio. Like we're not we, we're not trying to caffeinate these rounds yeah. at outlandish prices. We too want to see a nice steady up into the right journey. Yep. Right. So for our LPs, and I don't really know how the other studios do it, but at least for our LPs, we're perfectly aligned because of the structure of our fund and the way that we build these companies. We're perfectly aligned with our LPs. Yep. That generates very attractive returns from scratch because to your earlier point, if, you, if you're in early and then you, you take that long ride, the returns are out, can be outlandishly yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's, that's another way in which we're, we're different and perhaps, who knows, this might, uh, this might turn into, as we've been discussing, its own perhaps it's ambitious, but it's own asset class down, down the road. Well, I'm going to put a stake in the ground on that. All right, there because, we go. Because I think, look, there once, once was upon a time where PE didn't exist. Mm. And a few pioneers, I guess Henry Kravis and others, I wasn't there, so I just read the story secondhand, but PE didn't exist. And then a small nucleus of people started to do it. Fast forward 40 years later, we all know what private equity is about, right? I posit that we're at a similar juncture now for venture studios. I'm not saying it's going to happen in a year, but 10 to 20 years from now, I think formation, venture studio, whatever you want to call it, let's not worry about the names. The name, yeah. Formation is going to be a thing, thing. right? In yeah. the same way that PE became a thing. And in fact, even in the same way that venture capital became a thing, because it wasn't that long ago that venture capital didn't exist. So, um, so yeah. So let's uh, let's examine one more one more topic, uh, uh, and that's uh, you know we'll examine the topic of where our ideas come from in in a separate episode. But uh, uh, who do we work with, Tom? What kind of people are we looking for? Yeah, well, we touched on it briefly, right? Where we start with at the very very beginning, we're looking for a product minded co-founder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You want to dimensionalize who they you know their personality traits and and the kinds of things that matter. I would say, you know, we want somebody who 
can show up and is is resilient. They can take a punch, right? This is what we call grit. grit. So because this company building stuff from scratch is not for the meek of spirit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to bend and flex and revise. You've mm-hmm. got to be told, you're going to be told no dozens of times yep. by customers you're trying to get in the boat. Um, you and have, then, but you have to be fierce in the face of that. You, you do have to be fierce, but you also have to be humble to recognize that you don't have all the answers. So you have to almost be shameless in your uh, uh, approach to asking people for help and saying, I don't know this. Can you help me understand this? Right. right? That humility has to be there, but it has to be accompanied with fierce resolve. See, and that's that's that dance. That's that tension, right? Because it, it sounds like we're talking out of both sides of our mouths, and we are, mm-hmm. right? Because you need to have somebody who is Socratic in the way they just look at this broad picture and say, oh my gosh, what do I know? Yeah. How do I, you must know something, right? Let me try to create the intellectual process that captures what you know, such that we can integrate it into our big learning organism Yep, and do the right thing. We've seen a lot of people, mm-hmm. right, who show up with a very high certainty to knowledge ratio. They take yep. strong positions and damn it, this is it. <laughs> and they don't course correct and it never works. It never works. It never works. So you have to have somebody who's, who's humble in the way that you described. They have to be very organized. In their thinkers, thinking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is, let's dwell on that for a minute because I've seen a big shift in, in Silicon Valley in the last 20 years. 20 plus years ago, I think there was a premium placed on, on hackers. And in the last five to 10 years, especially, everyone's talking about product, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I want a product guy. And there's a very well understood distinction between a great engineering leader and a product guy. What's how do you think about that? Yeah, I think I think the the ability to put things in places, put uh categorize things, name things. Uh oh, my flux capacitor is called foo and it does it gets these inputs and these outputs. The the ability to describe how things work in a way that's accessible. I think has taken on significantly more importance than the technical wizardry that goes on under the covers in the last five to 10 years. I've said to friends, if I had lived in a different time, it would have been amazing if I could have been one of Darwin's understudies mm. and I, I wouldn't be smart and come up with evolution like Darwin, but I would be a very enthusiastic understudy who would say, no, 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 no. That's a duck. That's a flat-billed platypus. That's it, right? I mean, things you, in their places yeah. is, is just so core. You do irritate people sometimes. I though, know it. Right? I know it. You're just pushing people like, we well, let's thingify this. Got to thingify it. Yeah. Got to name it. Got to name it. So we can refer to it later. Yeah. And sometimes uh, we just come up with kooky names because we can't name the thing in, in, in the moment as well, right? That's right. So we just call it Baba Ganoush sometimes. Stupid names, but at least we can map our brains back, back to the to thing. Yeah. If you call it Baba Ganoush. Yeah. Clock speed. Yeah. I think you have... St- you you change your mind a lot on this one. As you know, we just said. <laughs> I think you change your mind too much on this one, actually. Tell us which what, what about what about clock speed? What do we mean by clock speed and I think when that, does it matter? I think there is there is a um there is a certain amount of of uh ability that you need to have in order to process in informa- new information that is being thrown at you. Because when you're collaborating, right? Uh, with multiple people. Everybody has different ways uh, or different uh, speeds at which they their, their brains work and, and their thought processes work, right? So sometimes people, w- one person will, will reach an endpoint much faster than the other person. Yep. So you have to be able to keep up 
But it works both ways. You know, the person who's reached there f- first also needs to, and this is where the organized thinking comes in, the person who's reached there first also needs to be able to bring other people along because these roles get reversed that's right. quite a lot, right? So that's what I think we mean by clock speed. That's right. That's right. Now, the reason, so that, let's let's wrap that up with the boat. The reason we dwell on that is because you can't decouple these qualities, these traits in the people we want to work with from the from the formation task itself. Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. These are the core must-have capabilities. According to us. In our view. In our, yeah. in our, in our view, in our model, according to us. It's uh, like Princess Bride. Unless we're wrong. And we're never wrong. And we're never wrong. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So can you wrap Can you wrap this episode well, up, Tom, with a bow? What did we, all, what did we talk about? I Well, we talked about the difference between VC and Venture Studio mm-hmm. slash Formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about uh, how we approach it in our shop. Craftsmanship versus critique. We talked about the what's in it for LPs. Yep. Uh, and the kinds of capabilities we're looking for in those early product co-founders. Hopefully this helps give people a, a sharper sense as to what's going on. It's a little mystifying for many. Yeah. Right? What what is what does a studio what, what the do? What are you guys do? doing? Yeah. So so that's that's a quick flyover picture. And it's all consistent, of course, with our broader vision to advance entrepreneurship right. across the planet. Yeah. We do believe that it is a learnable craft. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where we get a little neater. That's not to say that it's teachable. teachable. I'm not telling you that I can diagram it all out for you. Yeah. But what we're trying to do at Superset is create the soil conditions for great entrepreneurs to come in yeah. and get the job done. So There's that's, a lot of learning by osmosis, I think, uh, that happens. We're not intentional. There's no class that we hold. Oh, today we're going to learn about this class and like chapter one or whatever. We're not doing that. Which is why I'm so skeptical of the accelerator incubator. And we've yeah. talked, a lot of people have come through our shop like, yep, but did those programs and didn't it, work. it didn't really get me where I needed to go. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that's us. That's that, what Venture Studios and Formation is all about. We're going to de- dig deep into a lot of the topics that we've covered today briefly and uh, hoping to generate a lot of interest in this uh, new asset class that we are, that we've, we've hoped we've kickstarted. So thank you for listening. Welcome to season three. Go buy yourself some hand sanitizer. There you go. Cure all. Right. <laughs>